Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. All right, I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. Where in the world is that? Colossians, it's in the New Testament. You're going to have your Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the story of the coming of Christ. Then you're going to have the the book of Acts. That's the story of the church, the birth of the church, and the church history, basically. Then you're going to have one of Paul's letters, the book of Romans, and then 1 and 2 Corinthians. And then you have some smaller letters that Paul wrote, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, all right? We said before, the Old Testament is a record from Genesis all the way as you follow up through Malachi, the record of God's people, God preparing his people for his Messiah. And then you have the New Testament that comes and it is the story of God's Messiah coming. So you have the story of the people in the Old Testament and the story of the person of Christ in the New Testament. So that's how the Bible is, is divided. And then you have these letters that are in the New Testament. They're called epistles. They're not wives of the apostles, they're epistles, they're letters that were written to the churches, and the church accepted those as authoritative, as as God's word, and they were accepted and uh, adopted by the church, and it ultimately ended up in what we have as our copy of God's word today. So we're in the book of Colossians today, Colossians today. I want to start with a, a quote by William Barclay, a Bible scholar. He said, it's not until a man finds his faith opposed and attacked that he really begins to think out the implications of that faith. It is not until the church is confronted with some dangerous heresy that she begins to realize the riches and wonder of orthodoxy. Can I paraphrase that? When you're challenged in your faith, that's when you really begin to grow. When the church is challenged with what we believe, that's when the church really really stands to to become grounded in our belief system. This book of Colossians was written by by Paul. Uh, Let me give you just a little bit of background. Paul, first of all, is, is the Apostle Paul. We have the story in the book of Acts of his encounter. Uh, he was a, a, a zealous Pharisee opposing the, the Christians, opposing the gospel, and he was on his way to persecute Christians, and God met him on the road to Damascus and said, Jesus said, why are you persecuting me, Paul? His name's Saul at that time. And he gave his life to Christ, and he was transformed, and he became one of the leaders in the church. So he, he went from, a, from a, a, a zealot and a terrorist against the church to being one of the greatest preachers and proponents of the the gospel of Jesus Christ. So um, we have the story of Paul here, a tireless missionary. He did not plant the church at Colossae, which is where Colossians is written to that church at Colossae, but he he was influential in encouraging the the people there. Uh, This letter was written to encourage the church to grow spiritually. It wasn't a big city. It wasn't a a big church, but we believe it was founded by Epaphras, who's mentioned in in the letter here. Uh, And we believe Epaphras went to Paul, when he was in prison in Rome, and began to ask him to help him encourage the church. And that's where we think this letter came from, to confront false teaching. And the one thing that, that Paul does in this letter is he affirms the supremacy of Christ. Uh, there's a key verse. It's in chapter 1, verse 18, before I begin, even to begin to read our, our narrative here. But jump ahead with me to verse 18. This is a key verse for the book of Colossians. He is also the head, speaking of Christ, He is also the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might have 
so that he might come to have first place in everything. Supremacy, first place, a preeminence. That's the key, the theme of this book, the, the supremacy or the preeminence of Christ. So Paul wrote that letter from prison, probably one of his first, first letters, and he shares it with the church at Colossae to stand in the force of opposition and make sure that Christ gets the right place of preeminence and prominence in the church. If you were to break down this book, a lot of Paul's letters, especially these smaller ones, the first half is, is uh, doctrinal and the second half is practical. In other words, he will usually write in his letter, this is the truth, and then this is how we live by the truth. But Colossians is organized similarly. Chapter 1, he talks about the supremacy of Christ, and that's his doctrinal chapter. And then in chapter 2, he starts to look at the the dangers where he defends the supremacy of Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, how you can live it out, a demonstration of that. Um, As I thought about this book, it's been years since I've taught through this book, how important it is in our culture, in our, our time today. I was just thinking about the, the, the theme in our culture of tolerance, how you just have to agree with everybody about everything, and how we as a church are being confronted because they're saying, the culture is saying, you can't say you have the only way to heaven. That's judgmental. They say, that's not right. You can't do that. You're being, you're being hateful toward me when we proclaim that there's one way to heaven. That's what Paul was dealing with here. The people in that culture in Colossae were were saying, well, Jesus is one of the ways, but he's not the only way. Does it sound familiar? They would say, we're going to take this teaching about angels, and we'll talk about that later, this teaching about about truth and how God revealed himself to us, and we're just going to put Jesus in in the middle of that. And so our culture, just like the culture at Colossae, said Jesus can't be the only way. And when you say that, it robs Jesus Christ of his preeminence, It robs him of his place of of authority and prominence and lordship. For him to be preeminent, he has to be Lord, and we're going to look at that. Now, let's read this introduction to the book, Paul's greeting, and then his statement of thanksgiving before he gets into the doctrine. We're going to make some application for us today. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints in Christ at Colossae, who are faithful brothers, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love you have for this all the saints. By the way, saints are just other believers, okay? Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven. You have already heard about this hope in the message of truth, the gospel that has come to you. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it is among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in truth. Well, he's, he's encouraging that church because he's heard about how they're following Christ. Verse 7, you learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. He is a faithful servant of the Messiah or of Christ on your behalf, and he has told us about your love in the Spirit. That's where we have the mention of Epaphras. So Paul writes to the church, and before he, he tells them, here's the areas you need to stand, he brags on them. So I just want to make four statements about the, the stages of development of these at the church at Colossae as they became disciples of Christ. When Paul says these saints, these fellow loved ones, those who are growing, he's writing about their growth in the gospel. So four things about that, all right? First of all, we need to hear the gospel. We need to hear the gospel. They had heard the gospel. Look at verse 5 with me. The last part of there, because of the hope you reserved for heaven, you have already heard about this hope 
in the message of truth. They had heard the gospel. Remember we've said before the gospel out of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when Paul says, I want to clarify the, the gospel to you that Christ died for you according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised according to the scriptures. That is the gospel, that Jesus Christ came, that he died, that he rose again. That's the gospel for us. And Paul says, you have heard about this. So to, to, to become a disciple of Christ, to, be, to develop, first of all, there has to be a hearing of the gospel. Thinking about the gospel, just breaking this down in, in this letter that Paul wrote, it, it centers on a, on a person, the person of Jesus Christ. It is, he mentions in verse five, it is the, the message, the word of truth that you heard. Verse six, he talks about it coming by God's grace. So all of those things are in the gospel. And it's interesting, look at verse six. He says, um, just uh, you have heard it, you've recognized it. He said, it's growing all over the world. The gospel is for everyone. John three sixteen. for God so loved who? The world. Now when the world is used in scripture, it can be used to refer to the world, the planet we live on. That's not the meaning there. Sometimes the word scripture is used to refer to the world, the world system that's opposed to Christianity. That's not the meaning there. In John 3.16, and here it means, it means the, all the people, the world, everyone. So when, when Jesus uh, proclaims in John, that, that when John writes in the Gospel of John chapter 3, he came uh, to forgive, to save the whole world. God loved us all. Well, that's important. Walter Wilson was, a, uh, I believe, a pastor, theologian in Kansas City. And when he'd look at John 3, 16, he would, he would ask this. He, he would say, when you think about the gift of God, that God loved us so much, the whole world, that he gave his only son. He said, what if you were to, to give a gift that would be suitable for the whole world? What would you give? Because that's what John 3, 16 says, right? That's what Paul says right here. It's for the whole world. What would you give? And, and Wilson goes through and says, you know, all gifts are not suitable for everybody. If you give a book... Maybe some people can't read. If you give food, maybe some people can't eat that certain food that you give. If you give clothing, maybe they're in a climate where that wouldn't be appropriate. If you give money, not every culture is going to use money as their, as their currency. So he says, if you think about it, the only logical conclusion, the only gift that can be for the whole world is the gospel, that God loves you, that he gave his only son to die for you. That's what's suitable for the whole world. And folks, that's, that's our mandate. Paul says, how can they hear unless, how can they believe without hearing? And how can they hear in Romans chapter 10 unless someone is sent? We are sent. In order for the people at Colossae to hear the gospel, probably Epaphras was the one who came to them and shared the gospel with them. They have to be told. And that is our responsibility to share the gospel. To be a disciple, first of all, you have to hear. Baptist Press carried a story years ago about an Asian village in um, a missionary had gone to share the gospel with him, and, and one of the, the leaders in that village came and said, that this news is too late for us. He said, why didn't you come here two weeks earlier? And this leader of the village explained that a sorcerer had promised them prosperity if he would sacrifice three small children. So this leader of the village went to another village and was able to kidnap two children and, and, and kill them as a sacrifice to the sorcerer. And they needed a third child, and this leader says, I couldn't get another child, so I sacrificed my own child. So he said to this missionary who shared the gospel, you were late. If you had only come earlier, those two children and my son would not have died. Why did you not come earlier? Folks, that's the cry of the world. 
We sang about a couple of the the testimonies within the choir song about a a family that had been transformed, people that are grieving, how the gospel brings transformation to that. Don't underestimate the fact that this relationship we have with God through Jesus Christ can be transformational in someone's life. They got to hear about it first. We have to share it. Number two, as we we track the progression of this, these, these believers in Colossae, they believe in Jesus. Number two, you have to hear the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves them. Secondly, to believe in the gospel. Look at verse four. For we have heard of your faith in Jesus, in Christ Jesus. We've heard of your faith. We've heard of your belief. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 10? You might want to hold that place there and look at that with me. Romans chapter 10, verse 9. Is, is what, what I learned as a brand new Christian. These verses, if you don't have them highlighted or underlined in your Bible, you should. Here's the message we proclaim, verse nine. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. One believes with the heart resulting in righteousness. One confesses with the mouth resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew or Greek. The same Lord of all is rich to all who call upon him. I love verse 13. For everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Many times when I've led a person to pray a prayer of inviting Christ into their life, as this says right here, to believe in their heart. To believe means to, by faith, trust in something. Like I'm trusting in this stool to hold me up. I'm trust, I put all my faith in this stool that's, that's what faith in Christ is. I'm, I'm trusting him and him alone. When I've led a person of that in that prayer of commitment, I will go to verse 13, and I will say, read verse 13 to me, and they'll look at they'll say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I'll say, did you just call on the name of the Lord to be saved? And they'll go, yeah. I said, not how you feel, not what I'm saying, but according to the word of God, have you been saved? And they'll look at that, and they'll go, I, I, yes. Take the Bible at its word. Take God at his word. You may not feel like you're saved today. You may not feel like a Christian. But if you trusted Christ as Savior, take him at his word. Believe, trust. That's exactly what these folks did. I like what John, uh, how John writes it in John chapter 1, verse 12. As many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Those who believe, those who trusted in him. That is so important. When John Patton was translating the Bible to... Uh, to some islands in the Outer Hebrides. He was looking for a word to translate that word believe, that word faith, and here's what he came up with. In that culture, they had a word that meant to lean your whole weight upon something. So that's the word he used for believe. Whoever believes in him, whoever puts their faith in him, whoever leans their whole weight upon Jesus will be saved. Listen, folks, I, I believe so clearly Paul is not only uh, letting the church at Colossae know that Jesus is supreme, he's reminding us that he's the only way. That I place my total faith, my total confidence, everything I have in what Christ has done for me on the cross. We were talking in my small group this morning and someone mentioned sharing the gospel with someone, asking a person, if you die today, would you go to heaven? And that person says, yes, I will, because I've been good. And this person in our class said, it's not just being good. By, by the way, do you know the religion is do, 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 do? Do this, do that. Christianity is done. It means everything's already been done at the cross. That's the truth. It's been, it's been accomplished for us. You can put your whole, total, complete weight on Christ. Believe in him. Place your faith in him. I was reading 
this week about atheists and agnostics and people who challenge the gospel because as I'm going through Colossians, that's, it's a defense of the faith. It's what Christian apologists, which really is not to apologize, but is to defend the gospel. They're called apologists. What those defend the faith, this book is so powerful in that way. And I was reading about some atheists. And I read about a man named Leonard Mladenow, and he wrote The Grand Design with Stephen Hawking. And this is what he said. He said, science shows that God is not necessary to explain the universe. Sounds like an atheist, doesn't it? He also says, I find it very hard to see how people could believe in the Bible. But then he goes on in the interview, and they ask him some more questions. And listen to what this same atheist says. He says, I believe that there is life on other planets. I know that there's no evidence for that. We don't understand the origin of life on Earth well enough to say how probable it is on another star or that there would be another life form. But in my heart, for some reason, I still find myself believing that. Does that not strike you as crazy? I can't believe in God because there's no evidence for that. But man, I believe in aliens. By the way, I have a pastor friend who says that's going to be the way they explain the rapture. When Jesus comes back and takes the church, he says, I think they're just going to tell everybody it was an alien abduction. Our, our world's prime for that, aren't they? William Craig, who's a Christian apologist, was reading this testimony by Maldonado, and he said this. He says, it's bizarre, isn't it, that he believes in aliens even though he says he has no evidence for it? But he finds that he believes in his heart and that there's extraterrestrial life, but he doesn't apparently find it in his heart to think that God exists the way we do. If he thinks it's so rational to believe in aliens, why isn't it rational to believe in God? I have an answer to that. You ready? Everybody, here's the answer. Because for an atheist to to agree that there's a God, they're going to have to change their life, and they don't want to. I listen to scientists. I listened to Lee Strobel read and, and had read his books, and basically that's his testimony. He knew that as an atheist, if he was to say God exists, he was going to have to make some changes to his life, and he didn't want to do that. Have to hear the word, have to believe. You, I don't know where you are in, your, in your, your, uh, the process of coming to know God. If you're not a follower of Christ, you've got to place your whole weight on him. One of the challenges in, in uh, Asian cultures with Buddhism is, and Hinduism, they just want to add Jesus to their, to their pantheon of religions. They just want to add him, and you can't do that. You cannot add Jesus to the way you think you should live your life. He is to be Lord. What did somebody say? If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. Believe. Lean your whole weight on him. Number three, they heard, they believed, and then they were discipled. Be discipled. We talk about that a lot here. That's what we're here for. Look at verse 7. He says to this church at Colossae, you learned this, what? The gospel. You learned this from Epaphras, our dearly loved fellow slave. You learned this from him. By the way, that learn is the same word that's used in Matthew uh, to mean to to talk about a disciple. It's more than just information. It's to make a commitment to, to learn, to listen, to follow, and to live out what you've heard. Jesus said in Matthew 11, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. All of you take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come learn from me. Come not only trust in me, but spend time knowing about me. Folks, we do that by what we're doing this morning. We gather together 
and we open God's word and we study it. What a privilege. What a privilege it is. And then you put it away until next week, right? And then you get it out and you open it right up where you were today. No. You may be there. If you're there, good for you. If that's a start for you, good for you. But you need to be looking at this every day. Spending time in his word to to learn from him, to be discipled by him. To learn. To count the cost. By the way, if you're going to be a follower of Christ, I need to let you know this. You're not just trusting him for eternity. You're changing your life. You're, you're going to be transformed by his Holy Spirit, and you're going to need to make a commitment to follow him, to follow him. You need to count the cost. Your language may change. Your habits may change. Your relationships may change. Your career may change. Your heart should change. I was thinking about counting the cost recently, and I came across this. I'm fascinated by this. A major supplier of football helmets for the NFL, it's it's Shut Sports, I think is how you say it, or Scut Sports. I went to their website, and before you can get past the open page on the website, you have to click that you've read this warning, all right? Okay, here's a warning on the website of this company that makes most of the helmets for the NFL, in caps. Warning, no helmet system can prevent concussions or eliminate the risk of serious head or neck injuries while playing football. You have to click that before you can go into their website and look about buying a helmet. Then it goes on and says this, to avoid these risks of playing football, do not engage in the sport of football. That warning label, I'm told, is on some of those helmets. You know what they're trying to say? They're trying to say, you need to count the cost before you buy one of these helmets. Because it isn't going to protect you completely. Here's the good news. You need to count the cost before you give your life to Christ, and he will protect you completely. There's no warning label there. There's no, there's no sense that this may not work for you. He is faithful. To be discipled means to grow in him, to make a commitment. I shared in, in Sublime with the, the group I was preaching to a couple of weeks ago how one of the first people I led to Christ was a friend from high school, and, and I was so excited. I was determined. I was gonna, I was gonna, after we led him to Christ, that I was going to disciple him, and I showed up at his house with, with some discipleship books and spread them out on his dining room table, and I was so ready to go in my Bible and all that stuff and pens and pencils. And he just looked at me like a deer looking in the headlights. You know what that is like? Just like. And I knew that I'd done something wrong. And I said, tell me what you're thinking. He said, man, I had no idea that becoming a Christian was going to involve all this. I forgot to tell him that to be a follower of Christ means you're going to be a follower of Christ, a disciple, a learner. You never arrive. Did you know that? You need to be a lifelong learner to be a disciple of Christ. Count the cost, be willing to learn, to be a disciple. And number four, as we follow this progression, they were faithful. They were faithful. You need to become a faithful follower of Christ. Look at verse six. It is bearing fruit and growing all over the world just as it has among you since the day you heard it and recognized God's grace in the truth. It has been bearing fruit and growing their relationship with Christ was bearing fruit. This church was bearing fruit. I love what Kierkegaard, I don't quote uh, theologians very much, but this is what he said. Christ did not appoint professors, but followers. If Christianity is not reduplicated in the life of a person expounding it, then he does not expound Christianity. For Christianity is a message about living and can only be expounded and realized in men's lives. I like that. 
Don't tell me how much Bible you know. Now, I said you need to be discipled, you need to be learning, you need to be growing. Yes, but don't just tell me how much you know. Let me see how much you're willing to live. Isn't that right? Someone said, someone said that what we live is what we believe. Everything else is just religious talk. Don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. In essence, is what I believe we're looking at here. A couple of verses that, that came to mind as I, I read about them bearing fruit. In verse 6, bearing fruit. Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You know what that is? The fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes there, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. I read this week about a little boy that was memorizing that verse, and he said the fruit of the Spirit is, and he got them all right, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, and remote control. That's not what it says. It is self-control. So for me to be a fruitful Christian doesn't just mean I'm gonna be, be sharing Christ with others. They're gonna be coming to know Christ. I'm gonna bear fruit that way. That is one fruit, but it also means that the fruit of the Spirit is gonna be transforming my life. It's gonna be a part of my life. Changing me. For me to be filled with the Spirit means I'm gonna demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is mentioned right there in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Am I more loving? Am I more joyful? Am I kinder? Am I more gentle? Am I more self-controlled? Am I more patient? Well, if your answer to that question is no, then you're not bearing fruit. And that's the job of the Holy Spirit. That's his role in your life. To be a follower of Christ, this progression is to hear the gospel, to believe the gospel, if you haven't done that, I invite you to do that today. And then be discipled. You need to make a commitment to spend time in the Word and learning from other Christians and then just say, I want to bear fruit. I want to be a faithful follower of Christ. Chuck Lawless had visited some churches in other parts of the world, and he was noticing the commitment of believers in other cultures versus American, the North American church. And he said, in other cultures, believers pay a much heavier price to follow Christ than we do. And he said, I think what we have in North America is convenience store Christianity. He said, let me explain that. Just think about a convenience store, and you make the comparison. What the customer wants is first. Customers seek what they want, and they want it quickly and efficiently. Customers stop in according to their own schedule and their own wants. Relationships might exist, but they're not deep. Store loyalty is about location, habit, reward, rather than agreement with ideology. There is more breadth than depth in, in, in convenience stores. And even in a convenience store, customers still watch for sales. Think about that. Do you have that mentality in your following Christ? Is it all about you and what works for you and your timing? And do you, do you fit him into your schedule when it's convenient for you? Or will you say, like Paul says in Colossians, Christ is supreme in my life? You know what that means? Number one, that means my priorities are based on what he wants for me, not what I want for me. If you don't know Christ as Savior, we invite you this morning in this time of commitment to come and let us help you with that decision to trust him. Be willing to admit you've sinned 
All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. If you believe that the wages of sin is death, that means, that means spiritual separation, spiritual death, separation from God for eternity. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ, Paul said. You can receive him by faith. Turn from your sin. You say, I'm not, I'm not going to pursue that anymore and be willing to turn to God and make him Lord of your life. That's what it means to trust Christ. We invite you to do that today. Maybe you're already a follower of Christ. And God's reminding you today that he is, does not have the place of preeminence in your life. Maybe you would come and kneel and just make this place an altar of surrender and, and say, Lord, today I, I confess to you that you're not number one in my life and you need to be. We invite you to do that today. Let's pray together.